Well, welcome to another exciting edition, exciting episode of uh, The Colour Couch. Uh, I am your host, Vincent Taylor, uh, and I have a very, very wonderful uh, uh, cinematographer with me by the name of Judd Overton. Hello, Judd. Hello, Vincent. Thanks for having me. (laughs) No, man. Are you kidding? Now, uh, uh, in in podcast world, uh, people don't get the wonderful visual that I get of you sitting there with palm trees behind you and a beach (laughs) and... And just a little bit of a green screen look, so sure. maybe it's not real. No, maybe it's not real. That's, that's up to you. You know, <laughs> this is where I like to be, sitting in this palm tree uh, fake background. But <laughs> and I take it with me wherever I travel, so I do a lot of travelling. Uh, nice. It's good to have some consistency. Honestly, it's it's such a delight to chat to you. I've, I've been a I've been a you know not a stalker, but just <laughs> just following following from afar, um, kind of what you're what you've been working on. And I mean, gosh. What a what a career! You've worked on so much so much interesting stuff. Oh, thanks. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the little fast rewind thing on sure. the tape, and then and then go back to Australia, and then tell me about. I mean, what was your interest? How did you get? How what was that first glimmer for cinematography, and where you started? Uh, I mean, look, it's a you know it's hard to sort of unpack all of that. Um, you know, I think there's definitely I had an interest in. Um, you know, photography and just watching movies. I, I grew up on a cattle station in the middle of Australia and we had about four or five VHSs that we would just watch over and over again because it would be, you know, months at a time before we got a new load of videos to come through. Um, so, you know, we did, did <laughs> we appreciated watching those and really studied those those movies, I guess. Not that I knew that that's what we were doing at the time. Yeah. Um, and, and we had, a, you know, had a little... Um, one of those sort of VHSC uh, pack recorder, you know, um, cameras that we would shoot a lot of stuff on the f- sort of farm life. Um, but then, you know, we'd make little films with those, which was which was a bit of fun. But I think the thing that really got me into it was um, we would have a lot of, you know, we, we were quite isolated. It was just basically my family, you know, mum and dad, brother and sister um, living on the station. And um, we would have uh, like crews, news crews or, or sort of... Um, TV magazine type people would come through, make, people making documentaries, and I'd see these guys, and it's like, oh, this is an interesting. You know, this isn't all about raising cattle. This is quite interesting. And I had um, one guy came up uh, for the Willisie program, you know, news program in Australia, and um, he had just been on the America's Cup yachts um, filming. So when he came up, and we were doing this little segment uh, across the station, he's hanging off the back, and I'm riding my motorcycle, chasing a four-wheel drive across the mountains and he's hanging off the back and getting these low shots down here i'm like oh this guy's this is great that's you know this is what it's all about <laughs> so i think that sort of you know having being able to see those guys and having that in, in an otherwise pretty sheltered environment you know spiked something and then um when i got down to school I, you know i moved to the city to do high school um and when i got down there they had I, you know i just kind of lent into the the arts subjects more than the you know than necessarily all of the academia um, I mean, English I was really into and, and, you know, and then the more sort of arty stuff when we would do little stop motion, um, Super 8 movies, you know, with, with clay animation and, um, you know, I did little things where you, you're kind of, um, you know, making a movie at the, at the show or you do, you know, you take photos, you see like a school journalist photographer or whatever um, in school. So I got a little bit of taste to do that. And then um, I got the opportunity, I became aware of the... Um, 
the ACS, which is the Australian Cinematographers Society. Um, someone kind of led me towards them and I sort of put my hand up to, to try to get some experience in professional <laughs> TV stations that was at the time. Um, and so I kind of, you know, someone said, yeah, come along. So I kind of picked up a, a, I don't know if you could call it a job, but I started doing, you know, work experience and things and washing all the cars for the news crew. And um, then I got a job at uh, Channel 7 in Adelaide and I was doing like the, the letterboard on Wheel of Fortune, doing sort of backstage kind of bits and pieces. So I just started to get some how, opportunities how, to do how, that. How old, what age would you have been then? That was before I left high school, so it would have been 15 or 16, I guess, something like oh, that. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Wow. Um, wow. And then I was, you know, I was doing some cable tracking, which is what they do for the live events, sporting events and things. So I did that for a few years over my over summer holidays. Um, and then, you know, kind of, yeah, just got a little bit of a taste for it um, and had some opportunities through through that and through the ACS when um, sort of jobs came up at the news stations, I got a chance to, you know, first go out and learn how to do the sound mixing and you just label the tapes and give them that. And then um, through that, I got an opportunity to work on a, um, a TV show, which was actually based at Channel 9, but, you know, it was just using their facilities. It wasn't actually um, shooting there. Um, but I'd met, I can't remember exactly how it went, but I'd met someone in the art department on another project uh, and he said, oh, look, we're looking for someone to be like a production runner on the on the job. And so I kind of got into the art department and started working my way through that side. Um, and then, you know, I was always hassling the camera guys and, um, you know, just sort of started chipping away at those guys to get some experience and you know, learned how to load 16mm and 35mm film. And then I got yeah. some good breaks, on, you know, doing some commercials. I mean, in Adelaide, um, it's a very small industry. I mean... The world's a small industry, as you start to find out. But um, uh, in Adelaide, it was super small. So if you knew one person and someone needs someone, and you know, I got a few opportunities there. Had some great um, cinematographers who sort of gave me a chance to to come and help out, and then I did okay. Didn't ruin anything. Um, so I got the, the next chance to do something a bit more, and um, kept doing that. And I kind of, um, you know, was a camera assistant for about ten years. Um, and, but you know, before, you know, mostly clap a loader and then it started, you know, a couple of years of focus pulling. Yeah. Um, and then I got into the, uh, into the film school in, in Sydney, um, AFTRS. And I did yeah. two years there and, uh, shot as much as I could possibly shoot and, uh, and sort of came out the other side of that and, just, and didn't look back. That's amazing. I was thinking about the, I, I guess the very first time I, I had to load a camera and uh uh you know and how freaking terrified i was <laughs> and i was and i was just doing that for a, like my own little short film and you know someone kind of and i had the the little booklet you know to try and load the bolex and all the rest of it but do you do you remember that 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 that, that first couple of times that feeling of film and that you know yeah i think um i'm trying to remember exactly what the process was because it was looking back a little while but uh i mean i i loved working with film and I, and i sort of was really at the cusp of you know, digital starting to come in. So I, I kind of really learned the whole film process and, and, you know, from working on feature films, working on commercials where, um, yeah, where you're loading 16 mil. I think, you know, the first time I did it, I probably did like a little short course or I can't remember if I was loading Bolexes and things like that first, which are a daylight spool. So you, it's not as, as right. pressure. You can kind of still, you can see what you're doing, but then uh, being taught how to, you know, here you go, practice it with a dummy load and, to shut your eyes while you're doing it so you kind of learn you know how many sprockets here and count the sprockets back and um you know the first time you've got a thousand feet of film and it all sort of 
cones down over your hand because it's not tightly wound enough and you're like, oh, Jesus. Oh, yeah, has, I know. Has this sweat, sweating, sweating bullets while you try to um, not, not scratch it and get it all back together. That's um, But again, somehow got away with it and um, continued, continued on. I just, it's funny that thing you said about the daylight spools because I remember what it was, what my first experience was. And it was that I had bought a roll of, I guess it was a 400 foot roll, and I had to wind it off onto the little daylight spools. So I went to, I don't know if it was Atlab or where the heck it was, this was in New Zealand. And I remember they said, yeah, they go, go for it, mate. They were really good. You know, so go for it, mate. And I'll go, okay. You know, and, and so I, w- I, I went through it with the light on first just to make sure I knew what I was doing. And then when I was winding, there was a little bit of a, it must have been a friction or a little yeah, yeah. little spark of light. And I went, oh, no, I've ruined, ruined. it. I just, <laughs> so the um, AFTRS, uh, the, the film school in Sydney, I mean, it's got such a great name for itself. And what was the, what was the guts of that course that you were doing there? I mean, when I did it, um, you know, there's – you have specialization, so it's not like some of the other um, courses. They, they, they don't want you to come in straight out of high school. They want people that have got some either life or professional experience. Yeah. Um, you know, they kind of want people that are halfway on their journey, they say. So, you know, it was great to come in, you know, with that kind of background in, you know, on set. Uh, and you know, of the other, there were four cinematographers, four directors, four production designers. Uh, we would all sort of work together and switch around who we worked with but um you know the other guys one came from you know a strong sort of photography background we'd all made films before but you know they like it when people come from sort of different backgrounds so that ideally we all bring something else to the um to the course and to the relationships there it was really it was amazing it was a two-year course when i did it it had sort of come down from being a three-year master's course to just a two-year course and the first year was all about um i mean there was a lot of things that was in some ways frustrating because you have to go back to basics and learn how to, you know, plug in a battery and learn how to set up a tripod and things. And I'd been doing that, you know, for quite a while by that stage. Um, but the real thing was about kind of bonding with the guys that you're going to school with and kind of, in a way, you're nurturing and building those professional relationships, which become so important, you know, years later. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, that was kind of what the first part of that course is about and then going on from that I think it's just about trying to shoot as much as you can and learn about what you like and don't like and um, you know the the gear is one part of it but it's really about storytelling and how you know how you want to show things and and shoot things it's it's a it's such it always fascinates me like even even from a colorist point of view how much that that role of storytelling is well for me at least and for you as well you know that's the that's the top tier you know and and everything else is kind of feeds feeds off that um yeah it has to yeah i i i couldn't agree more did you um because the because it it breaks off into like you say the technical of you know knowing how to load the camera or, or change the battery and and do that kind of thing there's the storytelling and then there's the lighting component as well um, wh- where did you start to de- develop your your knowledge for lighting? I mean, you, you learn by doing, um, obviously, and then you learn by watching what other people do. The more that you've learnt, the more you can see what other people are doing to achieve results and, and test things out. But I also, you know, along with my sort of camera assisting background, I did a lot of 
documentary work and have continued to do so over the years. Mm. And I think that's probably more so where, I, you know, like the way that I like, um, I've kind of learnt more through observing and, you know, being in positions where I have to work with not a lot of light or I have to use the, the natural lighter environment. So I think that's kind of where a lot of my instinct for, for that comes from. And then I'm trying to, you know, control that or harness it or you know that's sort yeah, of the hardest yeah, yeah. job of a, of a cinematographer is trying to stop the sun moving which is as we know impossible but uh, you know you don't want it to you, you don't want it to look like things are changing you're trying to shoot a scene two minute scene that takes all day to shoot um, yeah. but you want to make it look like it took two minutes to shoot I, I remember I, um, I was I was because I, I had a brief stint of shooting that's kind of how I ended up getting into, into colour so I was shooting for about six years and and, um, and it was mostly just music videos and short films and things like that. But I remember we were shooting in this abandoned hospital and there was this corridor, corridor, dark corridor, and it was all natural light. And right down the end, there was this beautiful stream of light. It was just perfect. I'm going, right, I'm ready. I'm ready to go, you know. Like, yeah, actors are just, they'll be here two secs. I went, yeah, great, no, no problem. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching the light, watching the light, watching the light as it goes, 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 goes. And sure enough, Actors walk in, the light's gone, <laughs> and then the gaffer he leans over to me and goes, "Hey Vincent, do you know the difference between God and a DOP?" And I went, "No." And he goes, "God doesn't want to be a DOP." And I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. thanks, mate. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Thanks, thanks for that. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> and you, so you've been doing a lot of documentary. You, oh, so you finished at the, at the film school. And then what was the next step? Well, I mean, I was lucky, you know, that I'd worked in the, in the industry for a number of years. So I'd already, I already had some uh, kind of good contacts, you know, that were in the professional world. I think, it, you know, your, your sort of colleagues and friends from film school often don't start making their own things for a few years after that, maybe five, maybe ten years after that. And that's when those sort of relationships really come back into play. And, I mean, that being said, we we did you know commercials and music videos and short films and things. So you know, we, we, there's still a lot of that. Um, you know, working for nothing to to build the real and um, to sort of get known. So there was a lot of that stuff with my my kind of peers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also had some opportunities to do. Um, I, I basically went back to Adelaide and shot a, a silent film, a <laughs> black and white hand crank silent film. Uh, for a director called Rolf De Heer, um, and I yeah. camera camera assisted for him, um, you know, for years. And in fact, I worked with him in art department, and I worked in camera, and I've sort of done all the done all the jobs uh, what, for what him. What was that? What What was that film? That was called Doctor Plonk. Right, and it was literally literally hand cranked, or yeah. So he he um, basically the concept came up because he looked in the bottom of his fridge and found all these short ends and out of date. Uh, rolls of 35 mil film stock and sort of wondered what he could do with them you know and he was he's always been very um very savvy and you know knows how to kind of create a story from the thing the resources and the things that he has around him yeah um and uh and so he sort of came up well okay what's going to happen with old film stock you're going to lose the colors the first thing that falls apart and then it all gets grainy and and he's like, oh, hang on, no colour, grainy. Hmm, that sounds interesting. Um, you know, jump to silent film. So That's we, um, yeah. So he he wrote a wrote a, a film about um, you know the world ending, um, and you know it was, so it had some contemporary themes, um, but we wanted to make it look as much like a you know early nineteen hundreds film as possible. Wow. Um, so we so and uh, and because I'd 
you know, camera assisted for him. He sort of uh, reached out and said, look, we're doing this thing. It's a small crew. I mean, the documentary experience sort of, again, helped out there because we, you know, had a handful of lights and uh, one or two assistants and, and that was the, the crew, you know, uh, one woman who did costumes, hair, makeup, everything, you know, so it was, it's really uh, um, kind of guerrilla filmmaking in that sense, but shooting yeah. on 35 mil uh, and it was a lot of fun. Wow. And um, yeah, we, we shot that basically my year out, out from, from film school and it did, you know, did some film festivals around Australia and around the world and um, was a great thing to kind of start me off, you know, to get that first feature under your belt and, and um, go, yeah. okay, I've done that now, um, you know, then you try to get the next one, you try to get the next opportunity, but um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And then, and then, and then I'm, I'm sure a couple of projects after that, you're going, what's that big boom thing? I'm not, I don't want sound. <laughs> yeah, the whole film, exactly. a whole film of not dealing with sound. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that, and look, that's one of the reasons why you could move so quickly, so nimbly, uh, because you don't have those, all those other things, but you've still got to look at your light and you've still got to, you know, make the exposures work and framing and storytelling is still, you know, is, is key to that. Yeah. Um, and this, you know, we did a lot of action scenes, so we were kind of replicating Harold Lloyd scenes, you know, like sort of taking influence from all those old action films and, uh, you know, and silent. Yeah, it was a great adventure. I've really got to track that down. It sounds so yeah. cool. That sounds so cool. Um, and then uh, from there? From there, I mean, it's, oh, you know, I've just been in Sydney after that, and, and working in the industry um, for a number of years. I mean, the next big thing really happened, uh, which is kind of what has then brought me over to the States. But um, there's a director called Trent O'Donnell that I had done a lot of work with, had done some commercials with him. Um, and he was starting to get into shooting, you know, TV shows. Um, and I, we'd finished, uh, finished on a job and he and some of the actors had this kind of, this, pitch this proposal they wanted to shoot some stuff and it was two cops hanging out in a car and nothing happening so um he's just like oh look we've got you know can we hold on to the gear so we worked out we just sort of kept the cameras over the weekend and um we're shooting in the basement underneath his sort of production office with uh, not a lot of you know a little bit of lighting but again small crew um and it was really just these two guys riffing um and what we shot on that day kind of became fleshed out and turned into a show called No Activity. So we, we they basically cut that into a promo. Um, and then, you know, at that time, Stan uh, was the streaming service in Australia was just starting up. So it was the first show that they commissioned. Was it? Um, oh. and, uh, and, uh, and they, you know, put a bit of money into it. So we shot it with a little bit more resources and did some rear projection to kind of put some interesting backgrounds behind them. And we did, you know, the two guys in the car and then there was two... Um, ladies in dispatch office and then the two criminals in the building that they're watching we sort of built this story very simply between two handers and all pretty much all improvised so you know they had a little bit of a theme and not not a lot of a a kind of um driving narrative about what was going to happen uh it, it really just um it sort of just came together through the, the stories these guys had together and the workshopping of the actors and um you know we were cross shooting everything so that we'd get you know, all of the beats um so we had to sort of design lighting that would work for for that not to shoot the other camera and to keep rolling you know lots of long rolling takes and then that format has since you know we did three seasons of the show in australia and then that's been bought uh we've done they've done three live action series plus an animated series in america and then there's it's 
sold, you know, the format sold to another, you know, six or seven other countries. There's a version in Denmark, there's a version in, you know, like it's quite amazing from something that we came up with kind of sitting in a basement dodging rats um you know it's, it's gone around the world it's pretty amazing that's incredible i mean I, I i know the show really well but i had no idea that that is where it kind of authored from that that's fantastic mm, mm. yeah it was a lot of fun it's been a, it's been a great ride to to kind of go on and um uh and that's you know opened up a great world to me which is coming over here you know when the show sold to cbs and funny or die yeah. Um, and Will Farrell and you know all those guys got on board. Um, it's just raised the bar on what the show could be, and uh, and obviously it's gone on its own journey here with you know more money and more resources, and each episode, each season gets gets bigger and bigger, yeah. and then that in turn has you know sort of having a show here uh, for three or four years running has then opened the door to other relationships with producers and directors here and uh, and more work. How how long have you been in the US for? Uh, I've been about eight years now uh-huh. and um you know and still traveling the world but la's la's the base and then uh, you know go wherever wherever the jobs sort of take me and so luckily enough been able to come back to australia for jobs over the over the years and um, got to shoot a documentary in fiji which was um for valerie taylor uh which is playing with sharks which is you know just played at sundance so you know there's been some great opportunities that have come up again through my uh, other older relationships but then at the same time Things are just ticking away and escalating here in the States. The more people you get to know, uh, the better projects come along and, and offers and you know, mm. better relationships. It's all about relationships at that point. That thing about relationships and that, that thing about personality, I mean, obviously, you, you're, you're really good at what you do because you're, your work's so beautiful. Um, but that's, that's, there's the other component as well that, that to, you know, you, you've also got a really good reputation of just being a heck of a nice guy, and and <laughs> like no, but you do, and like just a really nice temperament, and and that plays a big part, doesn't it, in those relationships? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think it's, I mean, a certain level of whether you say technical or whatever that experience, you know, whatever whatever the job of being a DP is, um, there's a certain amount of that which is that you have to have in your back pocket um, to know how to do the job, yeah. but then so much more of it is about. Um, is about you know relationships and how you handle stress and how you speak to other people and treat people and you know that's a really a big thing and and because I think especially these days you want to go to work with people that that you want to hang out with you know you want to you're spending a lot of your life with people you want it to be a nice experience so uh, yeah, yeah it's absolutely true um, I if if anyone has actually listened to other episodes of my podcast they'll get sick of this question but it's something that constantly fascinates me. And it's the question of the transition of, you know, going from a film world into a digital world. I mean, you, you said you were kind of almost on that cusp anyway, but I just wanted you to kind of give me your thoughts about that, your experience about that. Yeah, I mean, I think I was so fortunate um, to learn the discipline of, of shooting on film. Um, I think that's influenced me throughout my career. Um, you know, that, that there's a, a way of shooting um, that's really not not wasteful of time or people's energies and that there's a real focus that happens when you when you hear the click the click start happening and you know the, the film starts running through the gate um you know that's pretty special um mm-hmm. so I'm, i really feel feel lucky to have been a part of that world and to see something get you know see my films be cut on a steam deck and oh, projected yeah. on a big you know like it's it's pretty amazing to have had that now that being said like anything technology changes and improves vastly and these days um, you know, there's such amazing 
tools for the job out there um, to choose from that you really just have to, you know, you, ha- you have to look at that and you have to take that on board. And the fact that everyone can see what you're doing and how pretty much how it's going to look at the end, you know, people can really be on set and see the, the whole project coming together. Um, yeah, I don't think we're ever going to want to want to get rid of that. You know, even when yeah. people are shooting on film these days, they're trying to have HD splits and things so you, you can get an approximation of what that experience is. Yeah. Um, whereas in the old days, it was only the operator who's actually got their eye through the camera is seeing anything that looks even close to what you you know what the final project might look like. So, um, so yeah, in terms of um, filmmaking as a communal you know achievement um you know having having this hd and 4k and now hdr monitors that you can see things on and really see how the project's going to look is is you know, it's an amazing advantage i uh, i'm going to jump way ahead because you just mentioned hdr and um do you shoot differently when you when you're shooting for hdr or not really it doesn't really affect the, uh, it, it definitely affects it. Um, the main thing I've done, I'm just about to do my third HDR project. Um, and the, the main thing that I, I mean, I'm looking for, for, for pitfalls. I, you know, I need to, it, I don't change the way the storytelling, if that makes sense. I still mm-hmm. want to tell the story in the same way. Um, but you just have to be aware of what the, you know, what the latitude is, what you're seeing, things that you once could hide. Um, in a blown out window or whatever, um, you, oh, yeah. you, you know you can't you can't get away with that anymore. So you have to be across it just to make sure that you're, um, you know, that, that you're not going to have any surprises yeah. down the track. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then working across, uh, you know, going from television to, to to features to documentaries, is it just for you? It's just a story. Or do you go, oh, no, I prefer, there's something I prefer about documentary, there's something I prefer about television, or the, there's a way that I treat film differently, or or for you is, is the project the project, and you get lost in that? Look, I think it's all, again, so much of it is about relationships and the people that you want to work with, um, and then the opportunities that come your way. I think in Australia, you know, we're, we're both lucky and you know, and not so lucky, but we, we you have to you have to work in all the fields. You, you, there's very few people that can say I just do feature films in Australia and that, and I make my living from doing that. So, um, so on the one hand, that's like okay. Well, the the f- financial reality is you need to be sort of versed and able to do a number of things to to stay working. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other side, when you come to America, for example, and everything is about, you know, there's a specialist for everything. So, um, you know, the, the sort of jack of all trades isn't really an appreciated role. You know, the, the, the sort of less you do or the more that they can um, find your, you know, your wheelhouse, as they yeah. say, um, you know, is, is kind of what you need to focus on. And so in the States, my, my wheelhouse has been, Really, TV comedy, mm-hmm. um, and that's what I've. That's majority majority of what I do here is is in that sort of vein. Now that being said, I'm definitely not doing uh, your sort of broad sitcom type shows. I'm everything I do has kind of got a, you know, got some drama to it, got some yeah. to it, um, yeah. you know, and, and that's where I kind of go back to the story. And I, I feel that's the same if I'm doing a documentary um, or a film or a commercial or anything. Like I'm looking for. Um, or you know probably what people employ me for is to to kind of connect with that emotion and to connect with that story 
whether you're mm. selling dog food or, or you know, doing something for the big screen. Yeah, it's, it, it's exactly the same with colour, with, uh, as a colourist. And, and I was quite surprised with that in the US as well. Like, I did a, a film last year, a year before, and just put some stills up and had quite a few people go, oh, oh do, you do, do you do feature films as well? I'm going, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> so it's kind of the, yeah. But, but yeah, that you kind of get pigeoned in, into, into doing those specific things. It's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, you know, you've got to have something that's, um, it's what you're open with, you know, like that's how you get in the room mm. is having that, that sort of ability to do something really well and whether it's better than the other guy or it's, on par with the other guy, but you know, you're nicer to work with, or what, you know, whatever the formula, <laughs> the magic formula is that um, that gets you gets you the gig. Yeah, um, I think you always then draw on all of that other experience, and you can obviously, you know, any cinematographer can shoot, you know, any job, um, yeah. and you know, how do you choose the right person? I I, I still don't know, um, but uh, yeah, but me you neither. know, me neither. Yeah, yeah. Um, now you, um, I, I saw. I mean, gosh, you, you've worked on so many interesting bloody shows and films, uh, but I did just recently see, see the trailer for Young Rock. Oh yeah. Uh, um, uh, where is that? Is that come out yet, or is it? Yeah, come- they're they're, they're mm-hmm. about to start shooting. If yeah, they're about to start shooting the second season. Are they really? Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's uh, that's been out for. I'm, I can't remember exactly when it released, but it released earlier. Right. Earlier in the year. Um, so that was, uh, you know, Marty McGrath and Katie Millwright shot the Australian leg of that show, which is all of the, um, all of the flashback material and, you know, the, the three different ages of, of um, Dwayne sort of yep. coming up. And then, uh, and then I shot all of the, um, you know, all of the stuff with, with DJ uh, in Atlanta and we built all the sets. So it's really the, all the intros and exits and all of his kind of um, backstory narrative, which is him running for president. It looks amazing. It, it's like, and, and as per usual, I, I just kind of discovered it when I was, when I was gearing up for our chat and I went, what? So it, it is no surprise. There's so much stuff coming out. I mean, really it's, it's kind of a bit overwhelming. Um, yeah, yeah. And then are you, I mean, what, what's coming up for you? Have you got, so are you allowed to talk about any projects coming up or? Uh, I, I can't say too much about this, but it's, um, but I've basically after Young Rock, um, uh, and I did a pilot for a, a show called Ghosts, which is for CBS. Um, so that was sort of the end of my last year. And then, uh, I got the opportunity to come back to Australia for six months, which was phenomenal to do a, a, a show for Netflix, uh, that we shot up in around Byron Bay. Um, and it was kind of like the, the felt like the safest place on earth. It's not quite that yeah. way right at this moment, but um, it was yeah, pretty, pretty great experience around, to be. It? Yeah. It has, yeah, yeah. Um, and then so now I'm back back in the states and shooting a, a show for NBC here until Christmas. Oh, fantastic! On the subject of you know pandemic and all that, I mean, how has that affect affected your job? Um, I mean, I think the film industry has been at the forefront of um, of mitigating risk I guess that's how you put it I mean no one can be truly safe but I feel like the the you know we're kind of at the gold standard of of um regular testing and safety protocols and you know like it's everyone's taken it really seriously since day one much more so than the the, than the general public so um you know I, I feel very safe you know on set as much as as much as you can be uh that being said you know there's still been some there's been you know cases and things and luckily on the projects I've been on uh none of them have shut shut us down and they've all been kind of extraneous um people to that sort of core you know red team or a team or whatever they call it um 
Um, but I think we just have to just have to stay vigilant and um, you know you do do the best you can. Um, that being said, I think it's also had an amazing um, you know the, if there's an upshot to COVID, it's uh, the <laughs> amount of um, television that everyone's watching. So it's it really hasn't yeah. hasn't been busier in terms of. Um, um, production going ahead and you know both in Australia I mean I think all around the world from my experience crews are busy um, you know yeah there's a, there's a great demand for as you say there's a lot of stuff out there but there's a real demand for quality television um, yeah. and, uh, and, and I think even though you know which network do you have or which streamer do you have or, you know there's a, there's a lot of choice which is great um, but I think the shows that that stand out and the shows that have their own character and that have a really good story always you know float to the top and yeah and, it's so and true people, people do get to see them and you know people around the world get to see them uh, which is pretty great with, with that you know because you have worked so globally and and uh, and I know I know this is a question people ask all the time but the difference between working with say an American crew and an Australian crew is is there a drastic difference? Uh, there's a thousand little differences, right. um, but but that being said, the quality of crews around the world is is so good these days. You know, like everyone, every country's got its own industry and they're doing their own thing. And people, you know, and because there's a demand for content, it's, there's not many places you go that have never picked up a camera before. It's not that kind of environment yeah. anymore. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, you it's, it's much more likely that um, you struggle to find enough crew because everyone in town's too busy because you know netflix or amazon or whoever's come to town and you know they've got some good tax credits to make a show here and now, now you're like you're struggling to find that yeah second ac or that you know data wrangler or whoever it is that you you know so then i think also as part of that and something that i try to do is always to you know ha- have some good locals or, or also be, be doing some training while you while you're here so to you know i've always liked to kind of cast my crew if you will you know i like to find a mix of the the experienced sometimes saltier older you know crew members as well as some you know enthusiastic up-and-comers and i think that really makes a good kind of energy on set to kind of keeps keeps everyone on their toes and and That's i think great. likewise you know to, to have some um diversity in your crew is is a big um issue and you know concern to be aware of at the moment but I, i've always tried to have um, you know, a blend of people from different backgrounds because I think it just makes it more interesting. It just makes yeah. it more, um, you know, everyone behaves better. <laughs> everyone, you know, is more tolerant of each other and it's just a nicer way to work. Yeah, and it's it's such a responsible thing to do. I, um, on, the, on the topic of training, I mean, these days, is it still the same pathway to, 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 to become a cinematographer? I mean, it used to be, you know, you'd you'd just be doing everything you could just to be on set and then if you could start to get in with the camera department. But what's your experience now with it? I mean, how do people become a cinematographer? Yeah, I mean, it's getting a lot harder because, I mean, especially in sort of COVID times because people can't just come onto set. But I think there's always projects, people are always doing small projects and a short film or a music video that hasn't got a budget or, you know, those kind of art projects, things come up like that. And I think there's always avenues there. But also, well, twofold, it's a lot cheaper to get a camera and to have an edit suite and to grade on your laptop and do all of those things now. So people can have a, a, a basic knowledge and, and do have a, a really good basic knowledge a lot easier, a lot cheaper. Yes, yeah, true. Um, um, but then, you know, also there's a lot more film schools and there's a lot more people, you know, even when I was sort of going through film school, 
it wasn't necessarily looked at as a career. You know, it was kind of <laughs> so, something you do, and it's interesting. But a lot of people go to school, and you know, a lot of people go to college or wherever, and don't then make that their make yeah. that their life. Um, and it's been interesting for me to see how how many of my sort of peers have gone on to not necessarily all the job that they not you know all the directors have gone on to the directing job that they thought they were going to get or whatever but um but everyone's kind of used those skills um and found their you know everyone finds their own way i guess yeah yeah it, yeah it's 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 interesting isn't it and because i'm seeing even even from a color grading point of view because it is so accessible now and there's so many more people now who are color saying they're colorists and yeah and um and it's on one hand, it's fantastic. The only thing I'm, I, I think is getting lost a little bit, at least in my experience, is some of the work ethic is yeah. not, not necessarily there. And I think that's why you still need that either mentorship or that experience with, with someone a little bit more senior. Absolutely. I mean, look, I think that's also why I go back to how valuable I think my time was working on film sets and shooting with that discipline because that instills in you something that, you know, the sets that I'm on now, we're just chewing through. I can't even tell, you know, the number of terabytes we go through a day and the and the implication that has down the road of, um, you know, hours for someone to go through and scan it all and, to, you know, to, to, you know, go through and select the takes. And, you know, it's, there's a, it's a really different discipline now making films and making shows yeah. than it was at the time. And I think it's it's important to, ha- to to know where you've come from and it's important to have a have a network that you can call on to say, you know, hey, what, oh, I've just got this thing coming up. It's a, you know, I mean... I, I love that relationship that I've got with a lot of other cinematographers that I can call them up and say, you know, have you done this before? Or what, how, what did you do on that show? Or how did you, you know, I think that's great. Then again, there's also a thousand and one YouTube. So you can go through and find your own learning that way or do a film school. There's so many different ways to, to kind of, uh, you know, get into the profession and to, and to learn things now. At the end of the day, though, the only way to really do this job is just to, to just it. to do it, to start, yeah. just to start start making things and and take them through, you know, and try to get them released and get them seen by people and see if it has the effect that you know if the story that you've told is communicated to the to the audience in the way that you hoped it had, um, you know, that's really the only way to kind of to, to learn it to, to really is to do it. Now I'm, I'm going to be indulgent and ask you about uh, color grading because <laughs> I'm so because I'm so self obsessed. Um, uh, <laughs> But, but but how? Okay, first off, the the very obvious and broad question. I mean, and how important is your relationship, you know, with color grading and the colorist, and does it vary a lot uh, in the American system versus the Australian system? Uh, look, I think it's it's uh, your your colorist is a key collaborator for sure. Um, I think these days also, you know, your DIT is kind of your onset eyes and you know it's definitely there for the technical and you, and the more of a creative understanding you can have with them the better as well um and then i think it's also a question of of authorship you know throughout like how you how you maintain your the look that you set up with the director and the showrunners or yeah. whoever at the start of the production you know how do you make sure that comes together at the end because i, I mean i've never been paid for a paid for a grade in the tv world um, you know, definitely in feature films and stuff, they, they, they'll get you in. Um, but, uh, you know, in the TV world, you're invited. <laughs> and, that's, and that's nice. Um, so, you know, so it's really on you to kind of make sure that you're either available um, to, to go in or to do it online, which is, you know, becoming more, more of a thing now, obviously. Yeah. Um, but you really, it, it's kind of on me to, to make sure that 
we're still talking the same language and still look going the same way um, after you know after months of uh, you know editing and things have gone on I think I was still giving notes on Young Rock you know and I was on my next project in Australia um, wow. you know and still kind of giving you know getting edits through and oh this could go up you know like you sort of it, it sort of happens a bit more like that these days but um, yeah again the relationships are so important because the colorist is in there doing the work um, and the more that you can yeah. have a relationship with that person so that they know you know what you were going for and because they're going to be speaking to the producers they're going to be speaking to the director um you know if something comes up or there's a problem you know get me on the phone or send me a link or send me a, an image and we can have a conversation about it mm. um you know you just want you want to maintain that relationship as much as you can so that you're still involved yeah yeah it's it's it, it, i mean I, I grew up i was lucky enough to the dp was always in the room you know, yeah. it was it, that was just kind of standard practice, and as the years went on, that became less and less the case. And now, uh, with the exception of a little indie film I did uh, just recently, I mean, I haven't had the I've, I've had very little to do with the DP, and it, ma- it makes me really sad because it's it's like you want to respect what's been done, and then you want to be able to then add to that without taking away from the intention. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I think also. I mean, the technology and the way things are, are done is changing. Um, you know, the availability to be able to send a link securely, which is what the film looks like, and to be able to watch it on a iPad Pro or a calibrated monitor and give notes that way. You know, the days when you sort of sat and had a lovely lunch and, you know, and, and sort of sat, sat in the dark room and, you know, that, that sort of indulgence, which is amazing. And again, so glad that I got the chance to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's been a while, you know, since I've sort of graded in that, in that way. Yeah, I guess the, the other thing, Vincent, just to bring up, you were mentioning the difference between, um, you know, colour in Australia to to yeah yeah my, my experience in, in the states, and really the DIT is is the the biggest difference. I think the way that we uh, use a DIT in Australia is um, really kind of a glorified data wrangler. Unfortunately, there's a handful ah. of guys who are, who are really great, um, and and not just the, the the people, the technicians, but um, the equipment that's involved and having live grade on set and you know having a box that's sort of set up to to kind of show everyone what the LUT should look like or the trims that we're making today those sort of things um, isn't a big part of the Australian kind of setup um, whereas in America it's it's common practice to have your DIT on for the run of the show and really they're kind of you know everything from the cameras will run through them um, you know to go out to the monitors so the directors everyone's seeing you know as close to possible what the what the final show will look like and wh- and why do you think that is the case but to, the, the, that difference i mean i think you know like with everything in america they've it's everything's highly unionized so you you know the dit is a role and you have a person who is on set just to do that job mm. and in australia you know it's not unionized in the same way um so you know and we do a lot more uh, role sharing and um and the budgets aren't as much so all of those reasons you know have have an impact uh, yeah. in it but I think um, it's something that's also you know when we talk about training I think it's something that is important you know it's really an area that we should be looking at because I think there's there's a real shortage and, and more and more people are seeing the advantage of having that DIT position but there's just not the people uh, getting the training and there's not the the, the the setup the gear isn't there at the moment um, you know mm. it's, a, it's a bit of an outlay to kind of have whatever it is, the live grade and the fastest Mac and the things that you need to do to, to run that station. Um, and is that 
you know, portable or is it in a van or how do you, you know, because you, you, if it's the DIT is also the data wrangler, which is kind of where it's come from, then that person's going to be staying yeah. around on set for an extra two or three hours every night. So they can't be there in the morning. So there's a lot of, you know, things that need to be worked out and you sort of, you work out for each production really how to, how to manage that. Um, yeah. But I think it's when, when what we're shooting um, on set is, needs to be so close to what the final look is. Um, yeah, I think it's something that we can really, really concentrate on in Australia is, is trying to upskill those DITs to, um, and, you know, and, and let the producers know that it's, it's a key part of the process now. Mm. Wow, that's, that's really interesting. I, I think I've worked out who I should get on as my next guest, maybe chat to a couple of DITs and, cause I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, it, I'm, I'm actually really interested in that, uh, in that disparity between Australia and America and, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think it, I think it's okay. You know, like a really, the DIT is kind of like the colorist and the post producers eyes on set as well. Like, you know, they're keeping things legal and keeping, making sure everything's, um, you know, in the area that it needs to be yeah. as much as I am, you know, and I'm sort of running the set and, and giving them notes and all that sort of stuff. But, um, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very valuable, you know, part of my team. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not going to take up any more of your uh, your beach time with your beach backdrop there. But but <laughs> no um, uh, look, Judd, man, thank you so much. It, it's it's really fantastic to speak to you and 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 a, a really really interesting chat. And uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing this next project when it comes out. Thanks, Vincent. Good to speak to you. Thanks, buddy. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Color Couch. I've been your host, Vincent Taylor. Uh, my wonderful guest, Judd Overton, who's just awesome. Thank you for chatting to me, mate. Uh, I'd also like to thank uh, Matthew Tankard, my editor, for uh, putting this all together and cutting out the bits where I cough too much, and uh, my producer, Amelia Chapelo, and Laupost for um, hosting this. Thanks, guys. See you on the next one.